here. And on this episode of Reclaiming the Garden, we're having a conversation with our wonderful friend, Chaelin, is it? Aliyang. Aliyang, yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was so lovely to talk with him to get his thoughts on, you know, the Barbie movie, on some politics and how to talk with people who are, you know, who hold different views from you. Um, cause he, you know, as a political scientist, he seems to be very good at doing that. Um, yeah. and, uh, yeah, just to get to know more about him. It was really fun. Yeah. It was a nice, um, it was a very, it was just, an, it was just a really fun conversation for an hour. So, uh, we hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Alrighty, so Chaelin Aliong is a deconstructing Christian who spent his early adult years in conservative evangelical circles. He started questioning his beliefs once he came to terms with his sexuality. Everything changed when he found a community of other queer Christians, and nowadays he continues his deconstruction, questioning and holding on to these moments of hope and awe, trying to get closer to whatever truth he's looking for. Whenever he's not doing that, he enjoys practicing martial arts and is a second degree black belt in Taekwondo. He also enjoys running, reading, and engaging in politics as a young political scientist. Lastly, Chaelin is a huge adrenaline junkie and loves roller coasters. Chaelin, we are so excited to have you on the show. Yes, um, we met you at the uh, QCF conference this year. I feel like so many of our guests, that's, the, that's the, how we met. But um, And yeah, it was wonderful. You came to our little like podcast party thing that we had um yeah yes. yes and thank the lord it's a miracle i got the airpods to cooperate y'all can hear me right yes right. and i will probably have to bump you up in the audio in post but oh yeah yes. <laughs> that's a later thing yeah but yeah awesome uh yeah we met at the qcf conference that was my technically third second in person <laughs> Nice. Everything, all the wonderful stuff that happened in 2020 that made the second conference not possible in person. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I believe this, that was the first time we actually met in person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was so so fun. I have so many photos of us like from the podcast party and (laughs) all the, especially that last night, all the different clubs we all went to. three in the morning so many like, gay bars it's so fun <laughs> there um so now. we'll start off with the question that we always ask people to tell us about your faith background well as you mentioned before in the uh, <clears throat> in my little introduction yeah i grew up in a lot of well, not really grew up i my parents are basically sunday christians so gotcha. you know, that works we basically only come or maybe evangelicals would call us easters we only come <laughs> on christmas and easter <laughs> gotcha and but then i didn't really have a lot of community growing up as a kid i grew up in the military like i had a, we moved a lot um mm-hmm. by the time i could really get any of those childhood friends that you know you grow up with like we always had to move somewhere else so and then you grow up getting bullied and then you don't really have a lot of this community so then when I turned 17 the church offered me something I never really had in my childhood which was community and so then they do what they always do the classic bait and switch and when you turn 18 and then you start questioning a lot about your sexuality and figuring things out, it's not like they teach about this in schools. So, and you are in a lot of conservative evangelicals that are very 
persuasive, they know how to market themselves, and you don't really know how homophobic or how conservatives can be and how they feel about these things. Naturally, in my early 20s, particularly with the ruling on same-sex marriage, they started to become a lot more hopeful. So, Mm -hmm. like, wow, damn it. And, like, you're talking about me now. (laughs) And most of them don't even know about me. It's like, well, what am I anyway? (laughs) Mm -hmm. I don't know what it is, but I'm somewhere in that LGBT alphabet soup. And (laughs) so then that happened, and then... I started to question a lot. I walked away and now like many queer Christians, you're too religious for queer people, but you're too queer for religious people. Mm, so yeah, how does that work? <laughs> and yeah, then, and then we, changed. all of us, little misfits gather at QCF and. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and that was actually a funny story how I got involved with that. Um, after a number of years of going through, a lot of things and burying myself in school and work to distract myself from a lot of it. I moved back home with my parents like every other millennial. Of course. And, no <laughs> and then I remember I did what all gays do and then I realized there's no shame in this because every gay does it. You add people in the people you may know section because they're hot. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's actually where I met my good friend Elliot Hefty. And I remember oh, yeah, thinking, cool. yeah, that's how we met. He is the reason I actually found out about QCF. Um, I remember looking at his profile and he had a rainbow cross in his profile. And I was like, this is different. <laughs> yeah, like this is someone I would like to know a little bit better. Anyway, we kind of were, we eventually just decided to stay friends and it became the best thing that ever happened for both of us. He's like my brother now. And... Mm-hmm he convinced me to come to the first conference back in early 2020 and had that life-changing experience. And that was the first time I ever came out on social media. Oh, that's That's so cool. And how'd that go for you when you came out publicly? Surprisingly really, really good. Um, Like I'm very lucky that, for the most part, I have a mostly accepting family. At least my immediate family is pretty accepting. Mm-hmm. So they didn't really care. Um, most of my friends already kind of knew. <laughs> like, they're like, we've always known you to be out. But I'm like, I kind of had like a minimized presence online about that side of my life. Mm-hmm. And only uh-huh. certain people kind of knew about it. I wasn't a person who would wear a gay shirt or I would where go full out in all pride ever <laughs> like I would always kind of minimize everything and that's because I was still part of the church and yeah, I wasn't really in an affirming environment yeah absolutely when did you like realize that you fell and I realize like hindsight is always going to be 2020 with this sort of question but like when did you realize you fell somewhere under the LGBTQ plus like umbrella Definitely probably around 14-ish when okay. you start to notice those things for the first time. Really, mm-hmm. it probably was a lot sooner than that, <laughs> but you don't know about those things when you're a kid. I mean, yeah, like when you're seven or eight, you don't know what gay is in those. Yeah, like unless you have really cool parents or you live in a very right. liberal community where your friends have like two same gender parents. But yeah, absolutely. Right. 
like I remember the first time I ever really noticed it you start looking at boys longingly and enjoying it and you start having those feelings that every joyful teenage boy experiences in their early adolescence but not just to girls but also towards guys and you're thinking wait this is wrong but now that I look back at it it was probably a lot sooner I had little mini crushes when I was in my early childhood specifically I was obsessed with the live action movie Peter Pan (laughs) okay (laughs) (laughs) and I remember watching that movie over and over and over again and the same with Shark Boy and Lava Girl for Taylor Lautner. Ooh, Taylor Lautner. <laughs> yeah, oh, there is. I mean, honestly, looking back on it, definitely liked the girl. Lava, I definitely liked Lava Girl. Right. <laughs> oh my god! And it's the two watch- genders. It's Shark Boy and Lava Girl. Mm-hmm. And you remember you watched that as an adult, and you're thinking, "Why did I like this movie so much? This movie is so cheesy. It's so oh yeah, it's a B-rated movie." But then when you look at it through your queer lens. And when you're growing up and you're like, ah, that's why. Yeah. <laughs> Same reason I loved the live action Scooby-Doo movie. Mm. Velma was my girl. <laughs> and she was, in that movie, she was supposed to be queer, right? And then that got written out. Like, Yeah, because they were like, okay, they're like, it's too quote unquote adult oriented now. Because they were going to make her have a massive crush on Daphne. And there's a deleted scene online of her being drunk and saying, you can't take my eyes off of you to her uh, um and then I again they wanted to market that. it more towards kids so they ended up cutting that scene out but clearly barbie shows that you can market kids media <laughs> towards adults so absolutely <laughs> the early Which 2000s were bizarre <laughs> oh well the society um, wasn't ready for it at the time either yeah for me another like pop culture gay awakening thing for me was the scarlet witch <laughs> Definitely Wanda Maximoff. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, it's funny because um, now you see like stuff like with a backlash with the Barbie movie, like the people that are mad at it are very much like the old man yells at cloud type of yes. people where it's like, okay, like... And Mr. Ben Shabibo. Yeah. Oh, God. Look, I don't... This may be pretty curt to say, but I don't really take a lot of advice or listen to anyone who basically called his wife dry on live TV and didn't do it. <laughs> oh, I know. Called his wife dry or admitted to the fact that he's never once pleasured his wife. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so many of these fundies are out here saying that with their full chest. Like, I just... <laughs> well, one thing about that I did really appreciate about the Barbie movie, and this kind of connects to deconstruction too, is there's so many things that you don't see or that you see differently. And what I really appreciated about Barbie is it was very woke. And yes, for all you conservatives out there, if you're going to argue me about woke, can you at least define it first? Mm. No one knows how to define it. (laughs) It's just whatever they don't like. (laughs) Pretty much. And, but what I did appreciate is it didn't have an ending message of all men are bad. Yeah. You know, but what it really showed is patriarchy harms everyone, especially men. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. we talked about this on the show too, like in our episode about purity culture. It's like 
although it definitely like harms women in a particular distinctive way it also like tells men that like they have this untamable beast of a sexuality that they have to control yeah and like that they that they can't like look at porn or that they're they're terrible uh or if you've ever looked at her lustfully you've committed adultery in your heart mm-hmm. yeah. yeah which is again it's that whole thing of like i think i saw a post recently where it's like some conservatives will say the thing of like i refuse to eat with a woman that isn't my wife and it's like Jesus say with women it's like, all, it's like Jesus with women all the time. Maybe you're, you're with her. the possibility of like <laughs> oh. re- friendships with women. Yeah, you know? it's like yeah. it, it just—it's so sad. And, and like also, I, listen, I'm a tra- like I think women are pretty, and I can eat with people that aren't my partner. And mm-hmm. why? Because I'm not a perv. Truly, like, they <laughs> show that the Billy Graham rule is bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was actually reading one of this and. In one of my many readings, uh, Pastor Nadia Bolt-Weber talks about this in her book, Shameless. And Mm -hmm. she had two stories that are really coming to mind right now, one of which is a man who literally took that idea of looking at a woman lustfully and committing adultery in his heart. And it got to the point where any time, when he finally got to the point where he really wanted to be intimate with a woman that he cared about, he couldn't do it it's like he physically could not engage into the act of being with somebody he cared about because he couldn't turn off that idea in his head Mm -hmm. that he was doing something that was wrong and that was disgusting and that was shameful and so he Mm -hmm. felt bad about himself every time he tried to be with another woman and Mm -hmm. then there was another woman i remember her story Mm-hmm. where she was so angry at the church because she said, I did everything the church told me to. I mean, I stayed celibate and a virgin until marriage, and they made it seem like at the end, it's all just going to come together and we'll have this magical connection and we'll figure out this part of our lives. Yeah. And they couldn't, they were, be- he said it was like, she said it was like trying to have sex with a stranger, right? <laughs> I could uh, yeah because it kind of is like that I mean I was just thinking about recently watching like a I think it was oh yeah I think it was Rachel Oates video of her watching um Paul and Morgan they're these funny youtubers um response to the Barbie movie um but one of the clips that like um Rachel showed to like show how like terrible their relationship is is like you know on their wedding night like Paul was gonna bring out like a bunch of wild things you know to their sex life and then you know um morgan was like dude i barely know you is like the quote that people like to show yeah <laughs> and there's also a different dynamic too because morgan has also in not that it's something you have to admit but like she's like right yeah, i had sex before marriage but like the grace of god and the grace of my good husband like so I wonder if, like, he was like, let's do all this crazy sex stuff. Because, like, he assumed that, like, oh, like, you've probably done this before. Uh, you hoe. Um, <laughs> and I, I say that lovingly. But it's, like, <laughs> but it's that, like, I, it's you're not taught about it. So you assume that either, either one, your exposure's been none, or two, your exposure's been porn. Um, which is also not good. I mean, which is also not good. It's like they're two very right. opposite ends of a spectrum. Right. It's like, 
no disrespect to any sex workers out there. Sex work is work and it's valid. Yeah, but your your exposure to like sex education should not just be porn. It be should porn. be actual sex education. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, which is it's it's a horrible way of teaching people about these very real issues that affect real people and it's a very critical element of people's lives and I mean if I ever end up having kids I go back and forth I feel like me and my partner or whatever ends up happening at that point are gonna be a lot like the parents from Love, Simon (laughs) like coming home if my child comes home drunk and they're gonna be like is he drunk? Oh, he's definitely drunk. <laughs> so, how do we feel about that? He didn't drive. He didn't break curfew. And what about the girl he's with? He's had the conversation with us. I mean, he knows where the condoms are. He also knows about consent and that you can't consent when you're drunk. And based on how they're acting, I don't think anything's going to happen. <laughs> they're probably going to fall asleep right before anything even happens. Yeah. So we're 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 cool with this. Yeah, I, I thought we were cool with this. But we're definitely talking to his friends after this. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like our kid's good. It's the other ones I'm worried about. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah. Um uh, going back to like thinking about Barbie and deconstruction, that's such an interesting thing. Cause yeah, it's like technically Barbie is a great metaphor for it because it's like this she's living in like this perfect world until suddenly like things are suddenly off and so she has to go to um weird barbie who could be like the progressive christian <laughs> sage or like who, of course is played by kate mckinnon, kate McKinnon. Really, brilliantly <laughs> to yeah to figure out why she's going through this and she has to go and actually see the real world go outside the bubble to to set things right so yeah Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. I was disagreeing. One, one thing I've definitely found with deconstruction, it's it's been exhausting, but it's been equally rewarding in a sense. Mm-hmm. You know, because with each thing you deconstruct, I mean, you have to try to wrap your hat, head around something else that you were taught wrong. And it's a frustrating process of having to unlearn relearn and then unlearn and relearn and then figure out well where does this leave you now but with each layer that's unpeeled i found there's another layer of liberation that you also have no Mm -hmm. longer having that fear that you're something horrible or that you're an abomination no longer having to go to an environment where you may or may not be accepted no longer and always where fear. you're like you don't have to be right. told that you're not enough anymore you know like so many exactly. worship songs so many like the culture of that space is like you're you're not enough and i'm like no we are though like yeah right you know and it's there's always liberation i actually wrote about this in a piece that i wrote where it said the process of deconstruction can be long and tedious you can feel like what do we do when our source of truth is corrupted? What do we do when the adults that we trusted to us fed us lies? What do we do when we learn the truth is weaponized against us? You could feel like you're putting together a piece, a puzzle of 5,000 pieces upside down without knowing what the picture looks like. 
You could feel like you're just wandering around in a, in a lone desert, desperately aching for those long drops of a lone cactus, or wandering around the desert without a map. But then I add, but if you take a minute and just look up once in a while, you'll wonder, you'll find that there may be somebody who has the missing pieces of your puzzle. You might yeah. find somebody who knows how to read the map, or you might find somebody else wandering in the desert with you far out in the distance, and if you're lucky, maybe they got some water to share. Hmm. Yes, and I love, I mean, one of my favorite verses, actually, I think it was, wasn't it the verse for the, like, this past conference, QCF, the making streams in the wilderness, or was that last year? Uh, I think in Isaiah about making a stream in the or making way in the wilderness. Um, oh, that's gonna drive me crazy now. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yeah, I mean, it's just yeah, I love the idea of like yeah, there's this like garden in the desert that we're creating. So yeah. reclaiming the garden. Hey, yeah, that is you know that's that was part of the logic there. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, know, um, I remember, Taylor, you sent me something, I think either you had said it or a friend, someone had said it to you after conference about how, like, conference is like the kingdom of heaven, mm. and it's like what we could, what it could be, because I remember you sent that to me, and I yes. bawled, and then I shared it with my therapist, um, because <laughs> I was like, you gotta, you gotta hear this, um, and uh, it, that was, like, that's honestly how, especially being at conference in person for the first time, it was like, First of all, one, I want to hang out with all of these people like every weekend. Like this is not fair. Um, but also Truly. just like this is a world that we can aspire to and a world that we can like build towards. Mm-hmm. Right. So it was my best friend Micah. Love him very much. Okay. I actually yeah, met yeah, him yeah. through QCF as well. Shout out to nice. you, Micah. He's probably who might listen to this, but and I mentioned this in the last podcast I was on. Um, Rachel Held Evans, may she rest in peace. Mm-hmm. also helped me make sense of this so mm. she describes marriage and i don't equate this just to marriage i equate this with a lot of spiritual experiences a glimpse of the mystery if only for a moment mm-hmm. so and how i've made sense of that is there's so many things in life we don't know even the most conservative christians or the most progressive christians there are so many questions that we have about God, about the Bible, about all of this. And I think the biggest question we're all trying to answer is, what happens at that moment after death or at the end of all of this, the end of all things, how does it all come together like we're promised? And the truth is we really don't know. It's a mystery and that's part of where faith comes in. We don't know how it all comes together. But these small glimpses of hope, the kingdom of heaven, the new creation, We could think of moments like conference, moments like when you realize something new that you've learned liberated from the deconstruction, when you have this amazing conversation with a friend, when you have this amazing worship moment, or when, again, you go to retreats or conferences, instead of thinking of them as just isolated incidents that we're often cut off from and we can't experience whatever we want to, they're a small glimpse of how that magic is all going to come together at some point. 
Mm-hmm. Or as mm-hmm. Rachel would say, a glimpse of the mystery, if only for a moment. Mm. Oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah. 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 Rachel gone way too soon. Absolutely. <clears throat> anyway, and I want to add on to that. Micah also mentioned in his last sermon, which made me cry, and it's it's also called the vision as well. And sometimes when it comes to experiencing God or experiencing these moments, we often find that we want to take these moments and maybe capture them in a jar so we can just experience them whenever we want. And sadly, it doesn't work that way. But it doesn't mean we can't experience it. And it doesn't matter that we can't always have it when we need to. What matters is we're kind of always moving toward that light that's always Mm -hmm. given to us. And how we do that, where we do that, why, it doesn't matter. Other people's opinions of how we do that doesn't matter, which is why I say it doesn't matter if you're a church that's accepting queer people. Are they a part of the mission? Are they going towards the light? We don't owe anybody an explanation of how we're getting there. Absolutely. And it's always, like, that's always something that is important to keep in mind as well. Just, like, especially, like, if you feel like you don't have that community at home. It's like, there yeah. is that out there. And you can, you can experience that for a moment. And you will be able to experience that in full someday um but it's and god invites us to take part in that and to like in terms of building towards that you know absolutely and extending this was actually the message i got from my second conference you know god speaks to a lot of people in different ways and with me he's a little i believe he tends to be very blunt but (laughs) Not I feel like God a- is really blunt and sassy sometimes, to be honest. <laughs> he, can like, be. <laughs> he can God be. God has a mad sense of humor sometimes. <laughs> Which, to this, day I, to this day, I still don't understand, but hey. Um. <laughs> you know, I always say I'm like, the um, the day after I was baptized, same-sex marriage was legalized in the U.S. So, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know, it's... But one thing, there was a message I kept getting in my second conference that was virtual. I was thinking about the community and the people and everything that I met and everything I've now experienced. And the message that kept coming to me was I was still so angry over everything that I experienced that I wasn't really ready to trust the church again. Still, I'm not completely ready to. Yeah. But the message I kept hearing was, it's not just about you anymore, Chaylin. But it wasn't in like a condescending way or a mean way. It was like, it's not just about you anymore. Think of how free you feel now and everything good you experience. Now think of somebody else who doesn't have a family like you. Don't they deserve what you do? God. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's what I think about. I'm like, I want to help create a world where queer kids don't have to go through the shit in those churches you know and that can have families that will accept them absolutely um also you mentioned i guess a little bit ago that you did some writing and i know like part of your instagram is 
like includes <laughs> writing, right? So yes, I'd love to hear about that writing and stuff because I also am a writer. So <laughs> yeah, like my friends keep telling me I should get back into it. It's like I've been meaning to and I postpone it, but I started doing that when I was in high school, actually. Uh, I thought for sure one day I was going to be an author. Who knows? That may still be in the cards someday. Or who knows what the future holds. I'm at this point in my life where I say I'm not really discounting anything anymore. (laughs) So anything can happen. I never thought I could work with blood or be any type of doctor. And then I became an HIV prevention specialist where I was pricking fingers every day. Wow. Damn. Yeah. And... So you you never know what happens. And I remember my first experience with that is I ended up writing this poem that I can't ever find again, but I wrote this poem about what I wanted to be remembered as in high school, after high school. And I got a standing ovation in my freshman year of high school. And I was like, oh, this is what I'm good at. This is what I like doing. This is what I want to do. And to this day, it's still... I still find uses for it in my career and whatnot. It definitely came in handy in politics. <laughs> yeah. You know, when I was working in that and you have Gotta to be, be a good communicator. Yes. You know, and it's always fun whenever I try to talk to my both my progressive friends and my conservative friends and I tell them how I hear some of these political messages they're hearing. They're wondering why isn't it resonating? Like I can tell you exactly why. Right? Yeah. Here's what you're saying. And here's so classic example I told with one of my uh, friends who's a scientist, right? And is really passionate about making nuclear energy the, uh, the future, which it is the future, right? The main problem with it is too many Americans still have this idea that nuclear energy is dangerous. It's harmful. They still have images like, well, there's Rima like, Island the, there is Hiroshima. a problem of waste, isn't there? There is, but there's so many better ways that we can manifest that now. And I didn't even know about this. Like, it's so much safer. It's, he gave me this whole spiel about how it's all changed. And so here I am, the political scientist, and here he is a scientist. And then I said to him, okay, I see the problem right now. He said, explain to me how nuclear energy is better. And then he goes on in a tangent like, all right, see, I'm not listening to you now. This is your problem. Yeah. You need to be able to communicate it in a way that makes people want to listen. The moment you start mentioning things like green energy and clean energy and stuff like that, every conservative is going to stop listening to what you say. If you mention things like nuclear, every progressive is going to stop listening to what you say. Yeah. Because they still have that image of the 50s and the past. But the moment you say, this is what saves the planet, the moment you say to conservatives, this is what makes us competitive in the future, this is where the future is, this is where the economy is, now you've got their attention. Absolutely. And I think like, cause I was talking to, um, to friends of mine who, um, cause we were all acting at the same time, um, just as the pandy was starting to really pick up. <laughs> and like, it was that thing of like, I was very fortunate to have friends that were very much masking and staying at home. And like, like our boy Fauci, like we were like, it was very like, but it was also that thing of like being from a career where our job is to communicate our emotions and also have to portray the emotions of others. It was like, this thing has kind of proven that like, again, science, like scientists, 
they're so smart and they know what they're doing, but oh boy, some of the communication, especially <laughs> early on, could have been so much better um, <clears throat> because it just couldn't resonate. And again, people who are like, the vaccine will give you hooves, like those people notwithstanding, because <sighs> like, if you don't want hooves, what the hell is wrong with you? Um, but at the same time, <laughs> it's like... But it's that thing of like, there were better ways of explaining this and even being able to say like, we don't know, this is what we think is best right now. It could change. Could like, I feel like that would have been so effective and counteracted a lot of the really poor um, information that was being spread. So fun story, actually, you know, that's one of the ways how same sex marriage got passed in the Supreme Court. Really? So I was actually listening to an interview from one of the solicitor generals who was on the case. And Mm -hmm. he said, I knew all my arguments. I knew I was right. I knew the public. I knew the truth was on my side. And every single person I was practicing my arguments in front of were telling me not to worry. You got it. But then I went to someone different. I went to one of my friends who was an actor. And then I prevented my arguments in front of him. And he said, you're not ready. Hmm. Like, what do you mean? You're giving me facts and that's all great. And you're giving me your arguments, but you're not persuading me. You need to be able to perform your arguments and explain why you're right. And lawyers have to practice this. They're as much as they are logical. Most of their arguments are being performed and you see a lot of politicians are good at this. Even even pastors are really good at this. The most enthusiastic pastors, there is a reason. Of why course, they they're have called charismatic. You know, they've got yes. star power. Yeah. Like, they got star power. And if you don't have that, sometimes it's a little harder to portray your message. So what he did is he started working in acting exercises with his friend to teach him how mm-hmm. to perform his argument in front of the justices to convince them and to change their minds. Now, as much as logic can change people's minds at a certain point, you're not gonna out logic somebody in an argument. You have to persuade them. And at the end of the day, one of the reasons it got passed, they had to ask themselves, is there any legitimate reason other than religion why we should tell people who are two consenting adults what they can and cannot do with their private lives. Mm-hmm. We got nothing. <laughs> right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and like you even think about like that, I think I feel like this conservative argument comes across as like, oh, the government has too much control over like bodies and stuff like that. Like in a way that's kind of like, that's even an argument that could be used as well. Cause I know that that was something in some conservative state somewhere where they were making trans kids, the boogeymen. Um, like some governor ended up vetoing a bill because it was like, like, okay, like parents should be able to make those choices for their kids. Mm-hmm. Like, because that's government overreach. And it's like, dude, like somehow you were so wrong that you came back around to being right. Like, I don't understand. <laughs> like, But again, it, it's all in how you explain it. It's all in how you word it. And looking at like what is important to each faction of people and really being able to play on those. I had one argument, not a discussion with one of my conservative friends that I actually have a few of these where it kind of, I'm good at getting them to think differently about what they're thinking. And 
one of the things I asked is, do you believe that denying somebody, so remember the Supreme Court case where they're saying that you could basically discriminate against gay people by denying them a service? Okay, I get it. You believe that participation or by providing a service to a gay couple or to somebody you disagree with is an act of participation in something you disagree with. Okay, I can understand that. Are you also against murder? Well, of course. Then why don't you believe that selling a gun to somebody is participation in murder? Mm-hmm. You can't choose, pick and choose when you say participation does and doesn't occur. Well, you don't know who's selling a gun. Okay, so you're a best complicit or you're a worst an idiot. <laughs> so which is it? <laughs> yeah. Truly, it's like, they like I think I said this on the last interview with Chloe, I was like, in, in evangelicalism and also in conservative politics, it feels like there's so much cognitive dissonance that comes up, you know, it's like, you don't want big government, but you also want the government to determine what women can do with their bodies. Like, I, I don't, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> so another way that I talk to conservatives about abortion is, first of all, You're never going to win any conservative over or get them to think differently by saying my body, my choice, because to them, it doesn't matter how far along the child is. To them, it's another being that has rights. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And they're always going to say, think of it like you're making a choice for somebody that can't make the choice for them. So what I say is, okay, I get it. I agree with you. Yeah. It's another being that has rights. So if you're going to say that this is another being that has rights, then why won't you treat it like it has rights? Yeah. Does that mean if a woman, like what happened in Texas, why doesn't she have the right to ride in the HOV lane if she has another passenger, if you're going to claim that this is another being? Mm -hmm. If a woman has a miscarriage, how come she's not entitled to compensation for the loss of a child in her insurance company? Hmm. Right? Yeah. Should a woman get a be get a discount if she has to travel pregnant because she also has there's a lot of other things she has to prepare for if she's gonna travel pregnant. Why shouldn't she get a discount for, I don't know, maybe carrying another being with her? Yeah. All right. There these are all things. You can't pick and choose and say that this is a being that has rights, but not treat it like it's not a human being. And another thing I ask is it's not necessarily a uh a black and white issue like they seem to think it is. So take this, for example, what if you have a four-year-old kid who's put into a coma and they're too young to make that type of decision and they obviously haven't signed a DNR? Whose decision is it to pull the plug on that child if the doctor says that the child's not going to wake up? Jeez, yeah. Would it be right for the government to say, I don't care if it's even a 1% chance that the child is going to live you're going to preserve that life at all costs. And if you don't, then we'll charge you for murder. Jeez. Yeah. You got to make them think this is not as black and white as we think it is. It's about the right to make a life and death decision. And it's about the right to make these really, really difficult decisions that you hope to God, you never have to make, but it's your right to make and no religion, no entity, no company, especially the government has the right to tell you what you can and can't do and something that's already difficult. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's that double standard that really needs to, it's the double standard that needs to be addressed in all things, honestly. It's like, okay, like you have an issue with this, but what about like, 
this, that, and the other. Like, let's look at it this way as well. What are your solutions? Don't just tell me problems. Or as mm-hmm. my master on who I train with, he always goes, don't come to me with just a problem. Give me a solution. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. And also, like, good on you, I guess, for having conservative friends. Right now, I'm not really in a place in my life where <laughs> that's a thing. But Friend is a relative term, but yes. <laughs> that's I still have the conversations with them. Is yeah. I don't always enjoyed it's like a lot of things with many callings you never really ask for them but then especially since college I kept finding myself put in these positions where I was always stuck in the middle between the progressive and the conservative and I always find myself trying to navigate both of you and half the time like okay you guys are both getting on my nerves (laughs) yeah (laughs) anyway absolutely and like even being able to speak to both sides without compromising belief is such a gift and a talent to be able to Mm -hmm. possess. Um, Because there's a difference being able to, again, talk to both sides, but again, not compromising what you believe and not compromising what is right, but also making people feel like they are heard while also, like, again, it's a gift. Like, it's a huge, it's a huge Mm. gift that you possess to be able to do that and have the energy to do that as well. Sometimes. (laughs) Sometimes. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> you know, 2020 was a very difficult year for that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, but that same friend I had that discussion with, and when I was working in public health, at, when I gave him those scenarios, I also told him, listen, if you are prepared to overturn Roe v. Raid, here's what's going to happen. All right. This isn't just my opinion speaking now. This is my experience as someone who works in public health and sexual health. Here's what's going to happen. All right. You're going to have you're going to have a lot more babies that are going to be born poor. Guaranteed. That's inevitable. You're going to have a lot more younger mothers who are ill prepared. You're going to have a lot more younger mothers in southern states who won't have access to critical resources that they need. All right. You're going to have a lot more infanticide. That's a given. Right. Yeah. So if you want to do this, here's what you're signing up for. Now, if you want to be part of a solution, here's some things you could do. Make comprehensive sex ed a nationwide thing. Make Planned Parenthood and contraceptives easily available. You could have welfare programs that help young mothers. Make the church actually step up and say that they want to do what they're gonna what they claim that they're gonna do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then he left me and he said, Huh. Actually, you might have made me rethink some things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. But also there's the whole thing of like, if you're particularly talking to like a conservative evangelical, when you mentioned like sex ed and birth control, they're like, well, we don't want the women to be whores. Like, I just. <laughs> I know I saw oh. a billboard driving home from choir and it was from a pro-life organization and it said, don't, like abortions are bad. Don't have unprotected sex. And it was just like, That's a, or <laughs> hear me out. Basically, I was like, or like, hear me out. Have free contraceptives for people. Yeah. Like that, that's also a solution to all of this. <laughs> also, right again, keep in end. mind, like out of all of the places <laughs> and all of this, like, like I get that every like city and every state, like there is no red or blue. They're all purple. Some are shades of indigo, some are shades of magenta. Um, yes. This is a billboard that is up in the middle of downtown LA. Like, <laughs> like, like, I, like I think 
there's a better use of your money. Um, <laughs> if you wanted to, yeah, I don't think you're going to be able to convince too many people there. <laughs> yeah. Well, we remember that Super Bowl ad that people were mad at, right? Oh, the this is or Jesus was it the, was it the he gets us ad? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's the one. Like that because was... I mean, like he's. I think I think like the guy who. Maybe, Anna, if you could do a quick fact check in this, I think one of the guys who, like, heads Hobby Lobby, like, helps fund that. I'd have to check it. I think. It wouldn't surprise me. The thing that I was really mad about is people don't realize how expensive it is to run an ad in the Super Bowl, and that ad costs about $100 million. Yeah. Which could have gone to, like, so many other good things, but no, you spent it on a fucking ad that, like, did not go well, you know? I was at a bar with friends, and everybody booed. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm like there being the, the deconstructionist being like they're funded by conservatives don't listen to them um which again you know that that's more of like the narrow spicy coming out of like I am right and listen to me but it was like no one is liking this commercial anyways it's fine I mean from a feel from a purely objective standpoint I remember watching the ad and thinking I mean there's not a lot in that ad I disagreed with but the fact that you're doing this and you're spending this much money. And also, I feel ad. like it falls flat because when you're saying he gets us, are you saying that like LGBTQ identities are blessed by God? Like, no, you're not. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's what I heard, but that's clearly not what they would have wanted. If like, imagine mm-hmm. if gay people started adopting that ad, it would have immediately been condemned. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I remember watching it and thinking, but they weren't. They actually pissed off the government and Jesus. Yeah, he did. He was breaking all the rules of society that he was doing things that would not be acceptable in his day. And all for what? Just for showing people acts of love. And I was like, okay, yeah, that's amazing. And then when I found out who was behind it and when I found out how much they spent on this, you spent a hundred million dollars just to talk about Jesus. Talk about a figure that everybody already knows about. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you want to fix his answer... reputation? Like, uh, Gospel Music Association, if you want to fix the reputation of Jesus, give Semler a fucking dub award. <laughs> like... <laughs> yes, I love. Yes. Also, the just in answer to the question, the funders of the He Gets Us at campaign was from a group called the Servant Foundation, um, which, according to research, they've donated tens of millions to the Alliance Defending Freedom, um, which is a conservative uh, Christian legal group. And they also, in terms, while the donors who support He Gets Us can choose to remain anonymous, Hobby Lobby co-founder David Green claims to be a big contributor to the campaign's okay, multi-million so. dollar coffers. So yeah, it's being funded by some massive, massive conservatives. Jesus. <clears throat> well, on a happier note, like you mentioned, <laughs> similar. Yes, 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 sorry. I actually was listening to their music on the way back home from conference because I started to download it and I didn't realize they were already in my deconstruction playlist and I just hadn't given them a listen. Hey. <laughs> well, I knew you and I didn't actually know that I knew you. <laughs> and now, pretty big fan. Like, I love a lot of their lyrics, but one lyric that I know one song that really stuck out to me was Bethlehem because it was mm-hmm. very honest, but a lyric that sticks out to me is Jesus from Texas. And at the very end, where she says, my best friend found God, so we lost touch. I guess a savior beats a friend who thinks you're good enough. I hope she finds love and peace. And if her kid comes out, I hope that she calls me. 
oh, what a terrible honor it is to learn that these blessings are things you call sins. Mm -hmm. I'll spend the rest of my life tearing down the Jesus from Texas you put on a crown. Mm-hmm. And I wish I could have asked similar at the very end, that last line, but I won't give up on you. What did they mean by that? I oh, won't yeah. give up on the people who I still believe love. I won't give up on the queer people like me. I won't give up on the, the true Jesus that I know, not the Jesus from Texas. Or yeah. I won't give up on my friend who I hope calls me when her kids comes out. I mean, I feel like all of the above to that (laughs) just my interpretation i mean could be yeah big fan of similar now yeah i know that was again i think also there was something so like i don't know if cathartic is even the word i'm looking for but being at conference with all these people one who are already massive similar fans like (laughs) there was there was or at the very least like if had not been familiar with the music was about to become a mess. <laughs> right. Like it's a very like, it's like, okay, like you are playing to your people, but it's just like having mm-hmm. that moment where everyone is. Just and all of us singing. like up there together running up to the front. Like that was amazing. <laughs> oh. And yeah, I think I have the picture of myself monster. and you, April and Artie, yes. um, just oh, all like looking at the camera with tears in our eyes. Uh, I remember that too. And uh, if you remember uh, Jess Grace Garcia and mm-hmm. Kelly Ravenscraft. Um, oh, man. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember I met them my very first conference, mm-hmm. you know, for both of them. And I kept telling Jess, just please keep making music because yeah. there was a song. They didn't play it in the conference we were at, but there was a song I remember they played called Lord You Are. And I usually watch it on the old on the other broadcast because it's not downloaded anywhere, and that's the only way I can hear it again. But that is a really good. Anytime I'm having a bad day, I'll just mm-hmm. listen it and I'll play it again. And then she played another song after that that she said she wrote for us, and the lyric was, "When the voices are rising against me, it's your name I can call on. When they say I'm not in your family." It's your love that calls me home. Hmm. Well, Anna, you'll have to tell Jess about that. I'll be like, hey, uh, (laughs) so we have some requests to get another recording out. Like, (laughs) like after after the Q worship uh, weekend, if you could just get on there. (laughs) Oh, I asked. I mean, it's really exciting to look at the future. Uh, The future of worship is clearly queer, queer as hell. Um, You know, we've got. If there's any proof, again, the fact that like the two two of the biggest selling queer two of the biggest selling Christian artists were Semler and a drag queen. Those are the two <laughs> biggest though they reached number one on the Christian charts. And again, they're not gonna get recognized by the greater CCM community. But this is also proven that they don't really need to be. Mm-hmm. Because right. that music and their lyrics resonate with so many more people than like the I am but a tiny worm, Lord forgive me music. <sighs> Mm-hmm. you know jesus your love is like water love is like water and maybe a tree <laughs> <laughs> i was sitting actually i was sitting with jess like a year ago and they played like i think there was a part like it was like a from a lecrae song oh. where he was doing this prayer and i was like oh this is actually pretty good and they were like wait for it 
that's what I thought too. I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. sitting, listening, sounded pretty good. And then it's, I'm not worthy of love or affection. Like one of those things. And both of us at the same uh, time just went, Ugh. Uh, <laughs> like, uh, Lecrae, you were so close to getting it. I mean, Lecrae mm-hmm. is another interesting person because yeah. I remember I was reading The Color of Compromise, which I need to finish, which is all about the history of America's complicity, the American church's complicity with racism. Mm-hmm. And I remember he was telling the story of how everybody was celebrating with their 4th of July posts, all of his Christian friends. And he posted a picture saying, my ancestors don't celebrate 4th of July or something like that. And it was a picture of slaves. And he got crucified over that. Yeah. But the sad thing is, is, but it's the truth. All right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like it's, <clears throat> there's no denying that like I mean I guess there is from some real dumbass people out there but like it I remember listening to an episode of the holy post which is um Phil Vischer's podcast slash Bob the Tomato yeah he created the veggie tales yeah um and they had an episode with Lecrae on it was around that time maybe a few months after and it was kind of him talking about how he became sort of like for lack of better phrasing, like the same <coughs> black performer in the Christian music industry. And then as he was as an he evangelical did, darling until yeah, he, like, he was, yeah, got, he was considered safe. Woke, and then as soon as know, he, like... po- yeah, and it wasn't even like woke. I think it's just common sense, like mm-hmm. honestly, and this is something yeah. he's probably believed for a very long time. And the fact that he was finally vocal about it, especially looking at everything that was com- going on during 2020. Um, yeah. Like, it, that was like when everything changed like he was no longer considered safe to white evangelical christian universe you know so darren calhoun if you know him he's mm-hmm. one of the board members so i consider him he's like my gay dad and he's a part of the him. the band the many right yes yeah so yeah. like i'll sometimes will call him up and he'll offer me like some really good advice almost like a gay dad and so one thing he really told me that stuck out to me is there are two types of people, all right? There are people, and this is what keeps me sane and keeps me from trying to in, not influencing the wrong kind of people, and I'll explain that in a second. There are two types of people. There are people who think that they know truth, and it doesn't matter what you say to them. They're not going to change their mind. They're going to have every type of counter-argument or Bible verse or anything you try to throw into their mind it doesn't matter what you say. They're not even going to try to think about what you're saying. Now I thought I could influence them. And then I realized I can't if, or maybe I have to leave the changing to God. Maybe that's something you gotta, you gotta give that up to God. Yeah. But the people you can influence are the people who think that they know truth, but don't have all the answers and are humble enough to admit, I don't know. This is probably, the first group is probably the bigoted Christian who's preaching homophobic sermons from the pulpit, right? The second group, this is probably the the mother of the gay son who loves her son and loves her son dearly and doesn't want to lose her son, but can't seem to find a way to accept them because she can't accept everything she's always been told her entire life. Yeah. And a mother like that, in my opinion, everyone deserves grace. Can everyone give it? No. And not everyone should be forced to give something they can't give. Mm -hmm. 
but a mother like that who still has love for her son but just doesn't know how to reconcile it someone like that deserves grace and that is a person that you can influence yeah i think of like um i think it was the second season of queer eye um mama tammy um like that's the first person that comes to mind when you say that honestly because like she had her love for her son and love for that again that sort of divine love of god was greater than whatever she had been kind of taught in church and the mm-hmm. fact that at the end she gives almost like an apology in a way and saying like i will always yes. love myself like that that broke me um because yes. it was especially. just so sweet and so pure and especially like as she was talking because i think bobby goes into his mm-hmm. own religious trauma that he mm-hmm. had faced like <clears throat> even not being able to step into the church which i can like been there um and don't get <laughs> yeah it's like the church didn't hurt you like the people did it's like well y'all really don't want to separate yourselves so like here we are you know i mean it's one thing that really also blew me away about that story is <laughs> she actually went directly to her son and said mommy needs to apologize because mommy was wrong and mommy needs to ask for your forgiveness is like it's okay mom i forgave you a long time and she's like no i need to hear you say it because the god i believe in tells me that i need to hear it i need to have my son tell me that he forgives me yeah it's like oh (laughs) absolutely and at the very end of the episode she went over each and every one of them and she gave them all different all these different affirmations she was like oh come here anthony (laughs) It's like, food is a way to the soul and you give them a way to the soul. And then she went over to Karam and said, you represent people who look like you and so many young boys who look like you keep doing that. Then she went over to Tam and said, come here, Mr. Glam. Yes. (laughs) You make everything pretty. That is your gift. Style is your gift. And then she went over to Jonathan and was like, this is the one I need to spank right here. (laughs) I mean... (laughs) And they said, he'd probably like that. <laughs> <laughs> that does not surprise. Like, this is all coming back as you're describing it. I'm like, yeah, that, that, that checks out. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I remember that. Mamba Tammy or people like that. And if I could think of others, like, I don't know if he'll hear this podcast, but I kind of sort of informally mentioned him on this podcast. But I did have a moderate conservative friend I guess is one of the reasons I never completely gave up on church or completely gave up on I guess the conservatives Mm -hmm. and maybe it's because they were a younger generation and I guess maybe it might be because they kind of felt like they were somewhat isolated because they were moderately conservative but also were adamant that they didn't want to have kids so they knew what it was like to have an organization kind of push their mindset on you. They're like, we keep hearing one day you might change your mind. And I felt like I was the only one who would say, or maybe you won't. And that's okay too. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so because of that, they kind of always made space for me in that little environment, even though they didn't, I don't know what their views are now, but I know at the time they didn't agree with it, but they always tried to find a way to make space for me. And I always appreciated that. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I also think my mom, as a sort of example of that, my sister came out about a decade before I did, and my parents didn't necessarily receive it all that well. I mean, not like, you know, not obviously like 
no disownment, nothing like that, but they definitely didn't really react that well. Um, but then, like, it was actually my mom becoming LGBTQ affirming before I did that led me to become affirming. Because yeah. um, she finally, like, sort of realized, like, she couldn't look at love and call it wrong, you know? So. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. And it's also, I think it's harder to oppress and demonize when you have that personal connection and that personal love towards another person. Like, I think even with my own family, they were so scared for my mortal soul that again looking back like I can't even be totally mad that they were scared when I first came out because it's like that's what you've been taught is that people like me are gonna burn in eternity forever and like you know lack of belief in hell at this point notwithstanding but at the same Mm -hmm. time it's like I I can have that compassion for people where it's like their that love is still there but they've been conditioned to believe such frankly, like, awful and terrifying things mm-hmm. that, like, I'm still have like, I would like to think of myself as progressive Christian and trying to work and be better towards that, but there are things I'm still unlearning and things that still come up yeah. for me where I'm like, ooh, back up, girl. You don't believe that anymore. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. You're okay. Like, calm down. <laughs> um, so, like, I, so, like, <clears throat> similarly, like, I want, I hope that I can always have that grace for those sorts of people. Fear is, fear is a very powerful thing, and I think that's what helps me have grace. Is I know what it's like to be controlled by fear to the point where it impacts everything about your life, you know. And I swear, then this is why they say I should write again because I call this rush. <clears throat> I believe we all need an exposure to something or something that gives us an outlet that helps us conquer the things that we're afraid of. For Mm -hmm. some people that may be going for a run, for some people that may be working out, for some people it may be exposing yourselves to new foods or trying new places, doing new things, whatever it is, what is your rush? We all have a different one. And that's why I love roller coasters. All right. Like having a life and it's, it may sound a little corny, but for me, I know what it's like to be so rattled by anxiety and to have your life just completely ruled by fear where you're afraid to do so many things. But for me, when I'm about to go over a hill of a coaster or when I'm about to take a leap off of something or go zip lining or we're about to hit the vertical loop, or about to be strapped in a launch, you're always scared. I talk a yeah. big game, but I'm always scared of a, of a new ride. Yeah. But then the other moment kicks in, the euphoria, the dopamine rush, <laughs> knowing I did that. I survived. And for one brief moment, fear, doubt, disbelief, uncertainty, for one brief moment, none of that matters anymore. That was like when I when I came out. Yeah. That definitely was the sort of feeling that I had, like publicly on Facebook when I came out. It just like you know hit post. I was, I was free. Yeah, it's free. And one thing we could remember is, fear can be a very powerful, dangerous thing. And fear coupled with corruption and power is a hell of a drug. But mm-hmm. what is the only thing stronger than all of those things? And that's love. 
I think that's a wonderful thing to to sort of finish our conversation on. Yeah. And um, are there any um, social media or other things you want to shout out before we end here? <laughs> you can follow me on Instagram, Christian author underscore Chalen. At some point, I will get, I will start blogging again and writing again. Um, you could follow that. There's nothing on it now, but the cliffhanger footnote. Whenever I get that back up and running, yeah. <clears throat> link in the bio. Absolutely. Nice. <clears throat> Thank you so much for uh, being willing to be on the show. Um, I was so glad when you messaged, just saying like, <laughs> "Hey, if you ever need a guest," we're like, "Yes, we do." <laughs> um, <laughs> and also, it's like one of it's one of our dearest friends getting to be on the show like what is there not to be excited about um yeah and you mentioned elliot up to you we got to get elliot on too sometimes oh my gosh, we're just gonna get i mean, oh. I mean definitely do i know he'll love to do it so <laughs> just we're get all of the qcf humans he's been on like our earliest fans from the very beginning so we definitely gotta have mm-hmm. him on yeah yes i'll make sure he does it <laughs> <laughs> I mean, okay, like I have a, I have the thing that should be my high of the week, but I think I'm so burnt out and so tired and so like. Okay, well, I, I'll say it. You finished your fucking master's degree. I finished my master's degree. It's I'm. It's that weird thing of I'm in that weird place where it's like, oh my god, I'm done. But now it's like, oh my god, the real world. It's out there now, and I have to like get a job. Um, but I'm as soon as I hit like submit on that final essay last week. And then I had my last day of classes um, a couple of days ago. It was just like, oh, I can breathe again. I forgot. <laughs> I forgot what this was like. Um, so, yeah, yeah, that's been, again, I'm, I have mixed feelings currently, mostly just because I can't believe it's over. But I'd say that's a definite high of the week or a major point of the week for sure. Nice. Um, let's see, for me... I'm trying to think about it. Um, wait, did I say in my other, like, I don't know if I said for my last time for high of the week, but I've started my, you know, work at Beloved Rise. That's been really fun. Mm-hmm. Excited for the work I'll get to do. And um, also, I guess I've just been, you know, having, oh, wait, no, I think last time, yeah, I met, mentioned like little Seattle adventures. Um, uh, I did get some gelato this week after church. That was nice. Ooh, that sounds really yeah. good. Is it boiling out in Seattle right now, too? Oh, yes. It's okay. very, yeah. I'm glad that I live in the low, lower level of the duplex, so it's not, like, terrible, terrible, but it's still pretty Ugh. fucking hot. Um, but, you know, working at a grocery store, so there's AC, so there's that. Um, and um yeah and uh i guess next episode we're going to be um so actually we (laughs) we haven't decided so um i mean i think because i'm gonna have be able to have some time to like do some research i don't know if you're too burnt out to like do a bible deck deep dive or if you're down down. or okay are you kidding i'm so down it gives me stuff to read that isn't school related um i think i want to take on romans honestly Let's do it. So you've heard it here first. We've heard it here first. Honestly, (laughs) this is a fun treat. We're going to be doing a Bible Dyke deep dive on Romans written by our complicated boy, Paul. (laughs) Yes, we're going to. Yeah, it'll be fun. Um, 
on to the plug. On to the plug. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Reclaiming the Garden. You can follow us on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook at Reclaiming the Garden or on Twitter at RT Garden Podcast. Be sure to check out our Patreon for exclusive episodes, and you can always check out our merch store to get t-shirts, mugs, and other fun merchandise. If you are able to, please be sure to rate and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify as it does boost us in the algorithm, but we are grateful that you are here and listening, so if that's all you can do, we appreciate you. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you soon.